Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. Gosh, so so great being with you guys. I I can't say how thankful I am to actually have been here for the last four weeks. Um, it's just been been amazing, actually. Um, how many of you guys were saying the air conditioner prayer this week, <laughs> or the one that says like, Lord, please like don't let my air conditioner go out, or I don't know, with uh, my father-in-law, his he he gets a call from. His, my, mother, my mother-in-law, Grace's mom, and she says, hey, like, the air conditioner stopped working. He's like, uh-oh. He goes home, and sure enough, it was just unplugged, so it was an easy fix. <laughs> Gotta love those ones, right? But besides that, it's kind of been a little bit of a hectic week for, uh, for us, at least, and usually this happens um, as I'm preparing to teach. Uh, I feel like the devil always wants to try to work in some kind of distraction as I'm trying to draw nearer to the Lord so I can uh, give a good message on, on Sunday, and just kept heating up throughout the week, and then on Thursday, um, while we were at church, we realized, oh, the back of our building uh, got tagged. So while Gunner was out there painting in Arizona, I was out in Escondido painting some of our building, <laughs> fixing that. Somebody decided they needed some extra artwork. So unfortunately, um, that was fixed, and I got to pray for those people. And that's what I always do is like, okay, Lord, you gave me an opportunity to pray for whoever did this, and I, I really do believe that prayers are powerful and effective. Um, and then on Friday, it seemed to heat up a little bit more. I don't know if you guys saw the fire right next, uh, next to me in our backyard. We're okay, uh, but I did leave work a little early. You know, whenever you hear the word fire in, in, in Escondido or Ramona or Valley Center, it's like, okay, go home and pack up because you never know what's going to happen. I got a call um, from my, my buddy who uh, was right next to the fire on the 78, and he said, hey, like, do you hear it's already up to 250 acres? And praise the Lord, um, he wasn't affected by that, and uh, it was still a couple miles from our house, so... Um, God is good, and the firefighters and the air team that really uh, fought that fire were just such a big blessing, and they jumped on it. So praise the Lord for that. Huge blessing there, and uh, no, no worries right now for fires. So thank God. Um, and actually, just speaking of blessings and thankfulness, um, we're kind of going to be jumping back into Philippians, ending the, the, the chapter um, four, ending Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and he ends with just a note of thankfulness, of gratitude, and I would like to end, of course, myself with a note of thankfulness to you guys, just to know that you've been part of um, my spiritual journey and a huge answer to my prayers, actually, of just being up here, um, and it started back in, I would say, November 2014, I started praying, okay, Lord, I, I really feel like you put on my heart to go into pastoral ministry, and I had just gotten a, an offer to work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, um, which they work on the college campuses all around uh, the United States and the world now, and a really cool uh, ministry there, and where you get to work um, one-on-one with students, build up teams, and just a lot of students there really need the Lord on these college campuses. They don't hear about Jesus there. And um, I actually ended up turning that job offer down because I felt like the Lord was calling me into a different direction. And that was about the same time I started volunteering at Cross Connection Church, um, where I am now as a pastoral intern is what they called me. So I basically would show up on Sundays and shadow the pastors, start picking up different roles here and there. And um, before I knew it, um, I I was starting to ask, okay, Lord, did I make the right decision (laughs) in doing this? I could be working on the college campus right now and doing more, more work there and seeing lives change there. And um, a really cool thing happened in November 2014 as I was starting to work this out and I was praying, okay, Lord, I'd like some confirmation. Um, we, I run a family business in Poway, my parents run, and uh, we have these truck drivers who come in and out. They'll pick up pallets from us or we'll ship stuff out or get stuff in. And one of these truck drivers who I had never met before, he, uh, as we're just talking and we're loading him up, um, he says, you know, just kind of offhandedly, I've, I feel like the Lord's telling me that you're going to go and you need to be in pastoral ministry. Just out of nowhere. He had no idea who I was, and it was just one of those confirmations I felt like from the Lord, and, and I still actually know this man today, um, and we've, we have a great relationship, 
And uh, it was just one of those words of affirmation that um, he gave me. And then um, as I kept working in the pastoral field um, at Cross Connection Church and growing there and starting to teach there, uh, my prayer began, um, you know, to be, okay, Lord, I'd really like a wife. And he answered that one pretty quickly after. And then the next prayer after that was, okay, Lord, I'd really like more, uh, more affirmation and confirmation in this, in this field here. And uh, he offered that, he gave that to me um, in March of this year as the elders um, at Cross Connection Church and the pastors there got to ordain me, which was a huge answer to prayer. And, um, but you guys were a big part of that too, because when 2018 started, right, like really right at the beginning of 2018, my prayer for the year was, Lord, I pray that you would confirm me again in, in the ministry and as a pastor, and I pray that you'd give me more opportunities to teach. And it's something that's not exactly easy, and it's one of those prayers that you have to be really careful when you pray, because it wasn't long after that Gunner said, hey, like, would you be interested in coming up to Valley Center for four, four weeks? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, it was a huge answer to my prayer, and it was almost immediately after that. So you guys are a huge blessing and a huge part of that. And um, I'm praising the Lord for that. So I'm very thankful for you guys, and I'm looking forward to jumping into the richness of God's word with you guys this morning. Um, I believe that the end of Paul's letter here is a gold mine. So there's a lot to be taken out from it, and uh, we're going to dive right in. So if you guys will open up your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 is where we're going to be starting. We're going to be finishing the, the chapter there. So Philippians 4, verse 15, and I will go ahead and read it. You guys can read along if you'd like. It says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help in my, for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. For I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All saints, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Jesus, you all bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I do believe this morning that your word is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's capable of piercing, piercing the joint and marrow, Lord. So I pray that your precious word would pierce our hearts today. I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, and that you open your ears to hear what your spirit has for your church, and that we would bring glory to you in everything we do and every decision we make, Lord. So we ask that you would speak, and we're eager to hear from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' good name. The church said, amen. So Paul here is, is finishing up his letter to the Philippians, and his goal was to be thankful to them, to, to wrap it up in a, in a form of thankfulness and giving them credit where credit was due. And part of my job this morning as, as a pastor up here teaching is I want to convince you that, out of, that God, out of his eternal abundance, will supply all of your needs, your needs here at Grace Point Church, it will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus, in the abundance that Christ Jesus has, just like the Philippians, just like Paul is promising this to the Philippians. We, Paul actually, I mean, when I was reading this and looking at this, I, I came up with a term. I don't think I actually personally penned this one, but what Paul is calling these Philippians is treasure transplanters. 
And it's from something like where you're taking one treasure here that is temporary, that is going to fade away eventually, and you're turning it into something eternal. And you're investing in something that is eternal, the eternal work of the kingdom of God and, and what God is doing. And Paul's giving them this, this, he's saying like, I'm thankful for you guys because you have aided in my work. He gives thanks for their past and present giving. Um, and he says this of the Philippians. He says, you Philippians just don't, you know, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Paul's saying, like, look, I acknowledge that you guys are a church that you are giving. Grace Point, I, I've been with you guys for four weeks now, and I know you guys are giving into the kingdom of God. You guys are invested into the kingdom of God, not just here in Valley Center, but you're investing into the kingdom of God and pushing the borders of the kingdom of God around the world. I can see that through all the missionaries that you guys are supporting, how Gunner and uh, they just went out to Arizona, and it just it pleases me. It makes my heart leap for joy because I can see that the kingdom of God and the spirit of God is moving powerfully here. And he's doing that through your guys' work. He's doing that because you guys are taking what, you, what God's given you and you're putting that back into the kingdom. You're putting that into something eternal and you're saying, God, you can do with this what you please. And God does amazing things and he's going to add that to your credit. Paul's especially thankful for these, this church in, 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 in Philippi because they helped him twice in Thessalonica when no other church would help him. They sent him need. And you might think like, okay, that's great that this church in Philippi helped him. We have to look back at the history of the church of Philippi a little bit. And if you go into 2 Corinthians first, or chapters 8 and 9, I won't go there specifically right now, sorry. Um, but Paul actually raves about the church of Philippi, that they're the only church giving. And he basically lays this church out as the example for what every church giving should look like, for what, it, what the Christians giving should look like. And my heart here is that the reason that God here and that Paul's talking about giving and offering thanks for this giving is that our freedom and joy is at stake here because God's saying that when you, when you give your life to me, you have to give up all of it. And Paul knows that our wallet is usually the last thing saved in a believer. In a Christian, their wallet is usually the last part of them that's saved. And it's sad, but it's true. The Bible has a lot to say about giving. So before I go any further... I just want to say, we're not going to pass the basket around again. <laughs> I don't have a, a secret golden wheelbarrow we're going to roll through here after the service. That's not the goal here. The goal here is to show you the blessing of giving and to, to show you that I believe that our freedom and our joy is at stake here as believers. Paul's letter, whole, his whole letter here is about joy and contentment and, and freedom from anxiety. And, and part of that means that we have to be also givers too. So he, you know, the Bible does say a lot about giving. Um, in fact, I was looking it up, and I think money is mentioned about 800 times between the Old and the New Testaments. That's a lot of times. Um, and then Jesus himself, um, throughout his pastoral ministry, if you will, his ministry here on earth, spoke about giving and finances about 25% of the time, give or take. That means that if we as a church were going to mimic his example, we'd have to dedicate one Sunday a month, basically, to just talking about money. And it's, it's incredible, though, that God really does care about that. Uh, and Paul's heart here in thanking these Corinthians is to inform them that God now is going to provide for all their needs. These, these, these Philippians here were giving out of their poverty. Not only that, but they were giving out of their affliction. If you go back to 2 Corinthians, you're going to see that Paul's saying, like, in their affliction, in their abundance of poverty, they had an abundance of joy. 
So you're saying affliction and poverty, and there's joy somehow mixed into that. These Philippians could have joy in the middle of all of this affliction and poverty. Maybe some of you guys are in the, in the middle of that affliction and poverty right now, and you're saying, Pastor, there's no way that I can give anymore. There's no way that I can give. These Philippians were straight broke, yet they gave generously. They gave out of their poverty. They gave cheerfully. They gave regularly and sometimes over their means to support the kingdom of God. Paul's saying, look at these brothers. Look at these brothers. They were broke. They were broke, and yet they decided to give. They decided that it was worthwhile to give. They had joy in giving. It was actually out of the abundance of their joy. It's almost like the overflow of their joy happened to be them giving into Paul's ministry. Seeing that, okay, God's using Paul. God's sending Paul, and we're going to be the spearhead supporting Paul into this, these, to, to plant these new churches, whether it's in Thessalonica or the Corinthians or wherever, wherever it may be, we're going to help support Paul. Even if that man's sending somebody 900 miles to meet him in prison, we're going to help support him. So you might be saying, okay, pastor, but you don't know what I'm going through. Like, I got a mortgage to pay, man, so how am I going to do that? I got medical bills to pay. The hospital isn't cheap. I got a car payment to make. I got, I, you know, these, there's a lot of things that happen in our life that add up, and it can be very, very, you can be anxious about it. You can freak out about these things. But look, I want to, I want to encourage you guys today. It, Jesus himself was broke in his ministry. In fact, he was so broke that when it came time for him to pay his taxes, he had to tell one of his disciples, hey, go grab a fish out of the lake and open its mouth, and we're going to pay our taxes with what you find in there. If a fish could pay for Jesus' taxes, what do you think he's going to do in your life? Is our faith in our next paycheck, or is our faith in Christ Jesus? And that's, that's, what, that's the direction I'm going here. Is these Philippians, they were, in, they were impoverished, insanely impoverished, and yet out of their poverty they would give because they saw treasure there. They saw that the kingdom of God was greater, that it was eternal, and what they were doing was they were investing in eternity. So my point this morning is this that I want to make, is that God will provide all of your needs in Christ Jesus, both practically and spiritually. If he could do it out of a fish's mouth, I guarantee he can, he can provide for you. We need to have faith. So in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the, the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. These Roman coins that were given, essentially they, they would reap eternal dividends. So my encouragement for you guys would be, seek investments that pay eternal dividends. I'm not saying pull all your money out of your 401k or don't invest here. No, the Bible is very clear. We need to be investing our money. In fact, Jesus himself taught about investing money. We need to be investing our money, but we need to also be investing our money in the kingdom of God, an eternal kingdom that will reap eternal dividends, that we will never lose. That's what I call treasure transplanting. It's giving up something you cannot keep to gain something you cannot lose. And I got that definition actually from Jim Elliott. If you don't know about Jim Elliott, he was a missionary um, in Ecuador that gave his life um, to reach an unreached people group he was a married man at the time, and four other missionaries gave their lives with him. They had guns on their sides. They could have defended themselves, and they decided that the kingdom of God was more important than their life and that God was going to move forward no matter what. If he had to kill them in the process to, to reach these people, he decided that, that he would give up everything. He was fully invested in the kingdom of God. And he said this. He says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love that quote from, from Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain 
what he cannot lose. And I just think, you know, sowing into the kingdom of God will cost us. Sowing into the kingdom of God will cost us. You know, there's this, this pain of transformation when we become a Christian. And I never take it lightly whenever I would talk to students on the college campus and I'd say, look, if you're, if you're really, really interested and you really want to believe in this Jesus guy, if you really want him to be your savior, it's gonna, if savior, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you leaving behind what you once went to for your pleasure, what you went, once went to for comfort, what you once went to for you fill in the blank. And it's going to cost you going to Jesus now. There's a pain in transformation that takes place in the believer, and it's this pain of transformation that maybe some of you are going through today. And this is why Paul starts his letter with grace and ends with the grace of God, because we need the grace of God in order to go through this transformation. Amen? We need not only the saving grace of God, which transforms us, which saves us, which sets us aside for his good purpose, but we need the empowering grace of God. It's the grace of God that empowers us to go through the pain of transformation every day. When God is taking our life and he's saying, okay, look, you're here, but I want you to be here. I want you to grow closer to me. I want you to learn a little bit more about me today, and I want you to become more like me. It costs us something. You know, when he talks about this, this fragrant offering or a sweet-smelling aroma, some of your translations may read, you know, it's, it's a very clear that Paul is referencing Old Testament sacrifices. And you might think, well, Garrett, we're not called to make Old Testament sacrifices. No, but the principle of the matter is this, that sacrifices today are still required of us. We do sacrifice some of our time to serve at church. We do sacrifice our money to give to the poor. We do sacrifice what God has given us. An Old Testament sacrifice costs the person bringing the sacrifice a lot. A lot of you guys own horses or you own other kinds of animals here and you know that it's not cheap owning animals, amen? It costs you something. Likewise, we have to understand that bulls and rams did not come cheap back in the Old Testament. They did not come cheap. A bull and a ram, we, I mean, it's easy to think like, oh, they had to make all these sacrifices. It must have been really cheap. It couldn't have been that big of a sacrifice, but I, I disagree any of us know if we have a, a, an animal in the family, immediately our kids become attached to it. Immediately we become attached to it. We want to take it everywhere with us. Bulls and rams didn't come cheap back then, and then parting with it must have been also painful. And yet God was saying that was what was quite required of them back then. Now we, we, we have to be able to take something that we clench so tightly onto, our money, our wallet, and we just say, okay, God, you've, you've blessed me with this. Now how can I bless you back with it? Paul's more interested in the fruit that increases to our credit. He's not saying like, look, I want you just to give, just to give. He's saying, I want you to give because you have no idea what the blessing is that you're going to receive in heaven when you get there. Because you're taking money and you're putting it in the bank of heaven and it's reaping eternal dividends up there and the reward of that is so much greater than you can possibly imagine. You guys realize that the money that you're giving into Arizona and what they're doing on, on, you know, on the mission field there, reaching those Indians... That you're going to be, that's going to be accounted to your credit, those of you who gave, those of you who blessed them with money. That's going to be counted to your credit, and you're going to see that in heaven. You know, when you give to a missionary, uh, you know, around the world, no matter who they are, if they, if they, you know, talk to somebody and they accept the that person accepts the Lord, that's going to be counted to your credit. They're going to come to you in heaven. I have no doubt about this, you know, that there's going to be conversations where we have in heaven. It's like, thank you so much for giving. You supported this person to, to reach me in the middle of nowhere. I had no hope before that. God does amazing things to reach people. God does amazing things to reach people. I've seen that throughout my life, all the mission trips that I've been on, and I've been on quite a few around the world. God does amazing things to reach people that he loves. He loves everyone. He does amazing things, and it goes through amazing lengths to get to them. 
He'll send people from around the world with money just to reach those people, just to learn a language so they can, they can, they can increase the kingdom of God there. So what, what about laying up treasures in heaven? If you guys are asking, like, what does that look like to, to put money into heaven? Like, how can I do that? Well, here, let's just look at what, what Jesus himself says about that. If you'll, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, we learn a lot about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 6, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus himself is talking about laying up treasures in heaven. I'll give you guys a minute to turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, the, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus was pretty clear about that. Uh, there's some, some huge principles that we can take out where our treasure is, where our heart will be. Um, we can't serve two masters, God and money. And uh, the perfect story, the very perfect story found in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18 is the, the story of the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. Perhaps you guys have heard of him. If not, I'll, I'll fill you in real quick. And you can see this in, in those three places, Matthew 19, Mark 10, or Luke 18, where this rich young ruler approaches Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at this man and says, well, follow the commandments. And this man says, well, I've, I've kept all of those commandments perfectly from my youth. That was his first mistake. He said perfect. And it's like, man, in front of Jesus, you said you kept them all perfectly. You don't think he's going to catch that? I just, I love, I love this guy's ambition though. He's saying like, look, I think I've kept all of these commandments perfectly. So Jesus says, okay then, you certainly you have, but if you want to follow me, go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. It's exactly what Jesus says to this man. But did this man just like immediately take all that he had and give it to the poor, sell it, give it to the poor and follow Jesus like his disciples did. His disciples left their boats. They left their business. They followed Jesus. No, this man, he had great possessions, so he walked away. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because Jesus understands that we as humans have a tendency that where we have value in something, you know, where our treasure is, our heart will be. And if our treasure isn't in heaven, that means our heart isn't up there. No matter how much time you spend in church, no matter how much time you spend reading the Bible, if your treasure isn't in heaven, your heart's not up there. Jesus understands this. He's saying, I want you to understand that. But if your eye is on the world, then how much darker are you? Like if the eye is the lamp of the body and your eye is on your possessions and your wealth and what you have that you love, that's going to eventually go away. How much darker is it? Like if our eyes are on heaven, if our eyes are on the eternal treasure that God has promised us, how much lighter would it be? So it's just having this good perspective of heaven there. What, what, was my, what must we do to inherit eternal life? And I pray because this young man did not know his greed. He did not know the greed in his own heart. He was oblivious to it. And likewise, I think many of us, 
until we're confronted with it, we're oblivious to the greed in our own hearts, myself included, and the most of us. I mean, Jesus has to expose that. Like this rich young ruler, Jesus had to expose that by saying, okay then, here's your problem, is you are breaking two of the greatest commandments. The first one is love your neighbor as yourself. You couldn't go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second one is love your God. Love the Lord your God. And you didn't follow that commandment either because you wanted to keep God, but you also wanted to keep your little God, your possessions. And here's, and here's where, I, where, I, where I see it. Like when, when fires come around, and you guys are familiar with fire, I'm sure, especially in Southern California, we immediately go home and what do we do? We pack what we value the most, right? We pack up what we value the most. Now, if I had to ask you this morning, would any of those things that you value the most, if you had to make a mental list in your mind right now, would any of those things be above Jesus? If you lost any of those things, would you still have Jesus? Because you can't serve both God and, and, and anything else. You can't have your little God with you there, your possessions. They come and they go. And yet, and yet I find that, that that works as a great analogy, that we know exactly what we would pack, but if any of those things would get in the way of our devotion to Christ, of our love for Christ, and if we couldn't actually get rid of those things and give to the poor by loving our neighbors, if we were required of it, if God gave, put it in our heart and said, hey, I want you, Garrett, to go sell what you have right now. Go sell your truck. Go sell your tractor. Go sell your stuff and give to the poor. If I couldn't do that and I felt like the Lord was really giving me a burden to do that, we have to understand that God wants us, he, he wants us to have the treasure in heaven, the eternal reward up there. And that we can be treasure transplanters just like the Philippians. You guys here are going to be blessed in heaven because you are treasure transplanters. I've seen that over the last couple of weeks. And yet, I want to encourage you guys that in this letter of the Philippians, it's a great reminder that it's possible to be experiencing great affliction, great poverty, and yet still have an abundance of joy. And that when we're giving, we can experience an abundance of joy. So how much should you give? Well, only what you've determined in your heart. God's not asking for any more. He doesn't want you to give out of, you know, out of need to give. It's not like we're forcing you to give. If you feel forced to give, you really shouldn't be giving. God's saying what you have determined in your heart to give that. If you want to give more, then that's great. What you've determined in your heart. It's not like there's, there's some number that you have to give no matter what. It's not like we're going to pull up your yearly income and say, okay, you need to give an exact tenth of that. If you miss it by $10, you're, you're sinning. Like, no, that's not the point. God says you've determined in your heart to give something. And once you determine that, whether it's a dollar or $10,000, then that's great. God's going to bless you for that. But remember that when we sow little, we reap little. And he who sows much reaps much. We have to remember this widow when Jesus was in the temple and she put in her one mite. And Jesus says she sacrificed more because that had so much more value to her than all the riches of the rich people. She gave up everything she had. She was giving her full dependence to Jesus Christ, to God. She said, God, I trust you with all of my life that you're going to provide for all of my needs. So church, do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that if you put that mite in, if you say, okay, God, I'm willing to sacrifice what I need to sacrifice. I'm willing to put that might in. Do you believe that God will provide for all your needs, both practically and spiritually? I pray that you do today. The truth is, you know, we, we do need to watch how we, spend, how we spend our money and how we give our money. Why? Because I say the outside world is watching us as Christians. 
If they don't find anything different with the church, then why would they be one, why, why would why would they be drawn to it? If they don't find love there, why would they be drawn to it? So a little tip, like a little tip of advice here: if you guys are eating a meal out, say, and you get waited on, you know, you have your waiter there, and you pray before your meal in a public restaurant, I do encourage you guys to tip. Why? Because you're a Christian. I mean, we, and, and it, you say, well, what if it was terrible service? And I say, tip anyways, but let them know. Let them know gracefully. Say, look, like your service, your service was bad, but you're lucky that I'm a Christian. I believe in God. <laughs> and then we'll just see what their face does. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. Like, it's, it's true. Like, but when you tip, they understand. They say, okay, well, hey, this t- table prayed. What does it look like if this table prays, if our table prays, but then nobody wants to leave a tip and we leave without leaving a tip? And we leave, leave the table a mess? And what, what kind of testimony does that leave with that person, no matter if they're a Christian or a non-Christian, at that, at that restaurant? Or the people around. If they mess up our food, are we, are we automatically mad at them? Like they're messing up our lives purposely? Or do we give them grace? We have to, we have to, how we act and how we spend money outside of the church is especially important because the outside world is watching. You know, I, I think about it this way. Paul, and Paul, Paul would use the same analogy, I believe, is that Paul sees that the Christian life is like a marathon. When you see somebody starting to run marathons, they start to change. They start to change what they wear. They start to buy marathon running clothes. They start to buy marathon running shoes. They go get their feet fitted so they can get shoes that just fit them right so they can run farther. They start to drink different stuff, different liquids. They start to drink more water. They start to sleep a little bit more so they can run longer. They start to eat differently. Their diet changes and eventually start seeing their body change. They start wearing these shirts that say CrossFit on it. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but you can start to see an outward change when somebody's dedicated to running a marathon. Likewise, what kind of change would Paul say the Christian needs to experience? He's saying Christianity isn't a spectator sport. You can't just be a Christian fan. You can't just be on the sidelines cheering on your Christian team. That's not a position in the kingdom of God. God's given us all gifts, unique gifts, that you build up the body of Christ. You build up the body here at Valley Center. Each of you, God has purposely brought here into Grace Point to fill a need. We can't be sitting on the sidelines. We must be in the game. We must run the race. So the Christian, when changed, what does the Christian, when changed, look like? Well, they act, they speak, they spend, they give, and they live their lives reflecting Christ like the moon reflects the sun. I don't know if you guys got to see the moon this last week, but it was, it was incredible. It was incredible. It was super bright, and it basically was like daylight outside my house at night. And when I look up at the moon and I see that, I think of the beauty of God's creation that he has given us that perfect example that if it can be completely dark outside and the moon can provide light, are we a light in our jobs? Are we a light in our church? Are we a light at home? Are we reflecting Christ's attitude? Are we reflecting Christ's behavior when we live? Or what are we reflecting? Would be the more important question. What are you reflecting? Because there's a lot of darkness in the world and we need us to reflect Jesus. The church needs to reflect Jesus. And God promises to supply all of our needs. And this is something that can be hard for us to grasp, especially here in the United States where we have so much. But God says he will supply every need according to his riches and glory in verse 19 in Christ Jesus to God our Father be the glory forever and ever. God, he's saying, look, I'm gonna, God's going to supply all of your needs 
You give faithfully into the kingdom of God. God's going to supply all your needs. In fact, my father-in-law, he worked at one of the, the largest churches in San Diego for many, many years. And one of his jobs there was to oversee benevolence. And that's something that I never want to have to do because that's always hard. I have to have it on occasion, but it's always hard. Benevolence is something where the church gives, and it's, it's an abundance of that giving we put into a benevolence fund, essentially, to help people in need in the community around us. And just about everybody, and he would say, like, maybe only, you know, out of 500 people, only one would be actually giving into the kingdom of God at any level, period. Only one was be, would be invested in the kingdom of God in a church, so that means 499 people are coming and asking for help. They're saying, look, I really would love God to provide for me. But they aren't actually invested in the kingdom of God. They haven't actually stepped in. They haven't been obedient with their stuff. We have to remember that God's promises to supply all of our needs. And I, and I, think, of, I think of Psalm 23, especially. Um, and if you read Psalm 23 this week, this could be your homework. Read Psalm 23 kind of as the progression of the Christian life, if you will. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's the first step. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need, is another translation. He supplies all of my needs. And if God was so, you know, so good to say that I am the good shepherd, one of the I am statements of Christ, I am the good shepherd, do you believe he's the good shepherd and he's going to provide all of your needs? But he does. And in providing all of our needs, he says, I'm going to bless you with so much richness that you're not even going to be able to express. Like, Honestly, I've seen Christians that are, are faithfully giving into the kingdom, no matter what level, they would be blessed just out of nowhere because they've been giving. They would be blessed because you know, God would supply their needs. Say they had a car payment coming up, they had no idea how they were going to pay it, and they'd be praying to God, okay, Lord, like, I don't know how I'm going to pay this. And somehow, out of nowhere, out of the fish's mouth, God provides. God does that because he wants to increase our faith sometimes. Another way he does that is, is, is in Paul's letter here. He says, greet, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You have to realize that what the Philippians invested in when they sent money to Paul, when they were treasure transplanters and they gave money into Paul's ministry, is that the people in Caesar's household, when the kingdom of God reached Caesar's household because of Paul's work in the, in the prisons there in Rome, how incredible is that, that the very household, the Caesar's kingdom, you know, essentially, was the kingdom that was trying to destroy the kingdom of God on just insane levels, and yet the kingdom of God had broken into their own house, in Caesar's house, because of the Philippians' gift. That God had, God's going to account that onto their, or he's going to add that onto their account. That's going to be part of the eternal dividends that they get in heaven. And I think of us. How many people are we affecting by just faithfully giving to the church, whether it's just people we're affecting here in Valley Center by faithfully giving to Grace Point Church, or whether we're faithfully giving beyond that, into, into the missionaries' funds. And I just think it's incredible that Paul, while he's in prison, I mean, like I say, when Paul's put in prison, he's, okay, I'm going to convert the guards, I'm going to convert the other prisoners. And, and as he does that, it, it, it trickles up into Caesar's own household in Rome. God had Paul there for a reason. Just think, like, how good is God that he got to those people in Caesar's household, the very household that was trying to destroy the message of the good news. God promises to supply all of our needs, and that's the difference there is we have to, we have to understand what our needs are, church. Need versus want, and when I look at it this way, it's like, do you need a Starbucks coffee a day? 
No, but you want one. They say, well, pastor, but I'm a, I, I, I get headaches if I don't have my daily Starbucks. And I say, well, then you're probably addicted and we have, need to have another conversation probably. And I know a lot of guys like that. It's like, come on, man. But I love Starbucks and I love coffee, but we have to understand want versus need when we're talking about God's provision. And that God's grace will be enough for us. Paul ends with this in verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. So I'm going to invite in just a minute the uh, usher team forward. We're going to be partaking in communion this morning. Because like I said earlier, there's two different kinds of grace that we need as Christians. We need first the saving grace of God. That's the, that's the grace that enables us to be saved, to be set apart, to be justified by grace, of course, through faith. It's a saving grace. And then there's the other ones of us here this morning that we're saying, I need the empowering grace of God to get through the pain of the transformation that God's bringing me through right now. I need the, the empowering grace of God to get me through the sickness of my loved one right now. I need the empowering grace of God. And, and, and here, God wants to give it to us. We're going to remember the grace of God by partaking in communion. Communion is, is this very act of remembering Christ for who he is, for what he's done, and what he's going to do. His promises. His promises that he's going to return, that he's going to provide all of our needs. If you seek the kingdom first, all of these things will be added unto you. All of these things. And I just think, when we remember Christ, do we remember him as the God who gave us everything? Do we remember him as the God who gave up everything for us? The God who became poor for us. So as we, as we get ready to do this, I just want to remind us that partaking in communion is for those of us who believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's, a, it's this act of remembrance that we remember what he did when he was with the disciples and he broke the bread and he partook of the cup and then he died on the cross and rose again three days later that we could have reconciliation with God, that our sins could be reconciled, that could be left behind, that we could put them at the foot of the cross, that, that Jesus sacrificed himself, that we could have relationship and communion with God. By taking in communion, you're saying that Christ alone fills me. Christ alone satisfies me. Christ alone sustains me and brings me joy and makes me content. I'm content because I'm in Christ. Amen? So I'm going to go ahead and invite the usher team forward, and they're going to hand out the elements. And the worship team will get to play a little song for us, I think, so. So if you are with us this morning and you haven't partaken in communion for the first time yet, you're asking, well, what, do, what must I do to believe? It's just as simple as, do you believe that God so loved the world that he did send his only begotten son? That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no special prayer necessarily that needs to be prayed. It's you giving your life to him. It's you believing in him as Lord, that he will provide for all of your needs. You will be welcome to take the elements with us this morning. There's no supernatural, oh, supernatural experience with partaking in the elements. It's simply to remember Christ.
to remember what He's done for us and who He is. I told you guys even have the special crackers. They're gluten-free, so uh, for those of you that need that. In Luke 22, it says, And He took the cup, and we had given thanks. He said this, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. In Matthew twenty six seventeen, I like how this one reads. It says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many, for the, gift, for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we believe that, and let's partake of the cup together. Father, we thank you that in Christ alone, our chains, our chains are broken. Lord, that in Christ alone, we can be fully satisfied. That's why Paul writes to these Philippians, Lord, to remind them that in Christ alone, they will have all they need. Lord, that through the richness and the glory of Christ Jesus, Lord, he provides for us our deepest needs, our deepest desires. So, Father, we, we thank you that we can be free from the bondage of sin. We remember all that you've done for us, the great sacrifice that was made and that we can now be reconciled to you. And Lord, we we acknowledge that you are gracious, you are slow to anger, rich in love, and you're good to all. Father, would you this morning create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us and restore the joy of our salvation. I pray that you would help us to follow you, Jesus all the way to heaven until we see you face to face. And the church said, Amen.